Okay, so we are um, continuing this morning um, our, our new uh, autumn series um, entitled In Revival Culture. Um, we, um, we are a, a church at the moment who are really feeling the, uh, the weight of needing to go after revival for our church, for our town, and for this nation. Um, we've been carrying it now for some time and really want to uh, continue to press into that and see where God takes us with that. Um, and and the, the purpose of this series is to look at who we are as a church in revival, how we, how we go about revival as a church community, how, it, how it's a corporate thing, but it's also an, an individual decision um, to go after revival, to prepare for revival in our lives. And so that's the, that's the kind of key theme for this series, um, this term. Um, but I'm going to um, be looking at um, the particular area of, of, of the, the God, the Son, this morning, how we see Jesus, how we respond to Jesus, how we carry Jesus in our lives, um, and what does that look like, um, being a church in revival. Actually, the word revival doesn't... Um, doesn't exist in the Bible. There's no such word as revival in the in the Bible, but the word revive, um, the word revive appears a number of times. Uh, the ch- churches and individuals are called to be revived many times in the Bible, and. I, I wrote a, a, an email, prayer email, during the week of prayer, and um, one of the things I included in that is a, a quote from Duncan Campbell from his book, The, the Price of Power, uh, The Price and Power of Revival. Um, great book, I really recommend it, if that's on your heart right now. And he says, if you want revival, get right with God. If you're not prepared to bring the last piece, for God's sake, stop talking about revival. Your talking and praying is but the laughing stock of devils. It is about time we got to the, into the grips of reality. Are we thirsty? Now, I, I, I included that in, a, in, a, in an email um, meant to encourage prayer. So... Um, they, they kind of sounded like strong words to say in, a, in a, an email that was meant to do that. But this was not Duncan Campbell um, mocking prayer or belittling prayer um, as a vital part of our lives. Far from it. He was merely saying, let's not just talk about revival. Let's not even just pray about revival. He's saying, let's prepare our very lives for revival. Let's, as a church, be revived. Great revivalists, men and women throughout history, have been men and women who have prepared for revival. They've got their lives right before God. 
are ready for him to use them in an outpouring of his power and authority. So we're looking as a church through a, this, in this series a number of key areas that will become helpful for us to gauge where we are along in this journey. This morning I want to ask the question, is our vision of Christ sufficient for our lives? Are we living with a too smaller understanding of Jesus and therefore living lives according to this? So let's start by look at, looking at our passage this morning from Ephesians 3, verse 16. If you've got Bibles um, or whatever, devices, um, get them out and follow with me. They'll be on the screen as well. So Ephesians 3, verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length height and depth and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness with all the fullness of God to be in a revival culture is to be in a state of readiness DEFCON 1 does anybody know what DEFCON DEFCON means? Anybody know what that means? It's a, you see it on so many movies and things. But DEFCON 1, apparently, is the highest level of alert. It's his church in a state of preparation. But not with guns and missiles or military strength, but in hearts and minds, souls and spirits. It's where we get to put our house in order and reset our priorities. Church in revival can get a bit messy. It can be disruptive. It can sometimes bring about hurt and pain, division and misunderstanding. It will challenge us and confront us but almost certainly clear us out of all that gets in the way of him working powerfully through us. It will ask us for courage and obedience and self-sacrifice. It will cost us. It will call us to hold the line and not lose heart. Church and revival will, if it needs to, strip us back to the very foundations of our faith when all that gets to remain is the great vision of Christ, our King. We sang 
so much of that this morning. So many ways in which we get to see a vision of our Jesus. We had a prophetic word um, spoken to us last week. A lady I don't think we knew at all came up the front when we had our service at the north and gave a prophetic, um, added in a prophetic word um, to the mix on Sunday mornings, which was a picture of um, a mountain stream that started with a trickle at the top of the mountain. And as it made its way down the mountain, it, 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 it grew stronger and it, it started to, it got strong enough to clear away the debris as it came down the mountain, the rocks and the boulders. And it felt to me as she was sharing that, that that was a process in which the church at times has to go through to make room for revival, to be prepared and a revived church. And it starts with his river that gets to run through us all. With my woefully inadequate words this morning, I want to try, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to have us caught up again and captivated again. Or even maybe for the first time, by a vision of a Jesus that gets to do such a work in us, gets to clear away the rubbish so that it gets to do a powerful work through us. In verse 16 of our passage, Paul's ache for the church is that its vision and understanding of Christ is not this size, but this size. He's wanting us to broaden our horizon, broaden our, our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. Reminding us that it's through the Spirit, the great ambassador and champion of Christ, that we get revealed to us the life-changing, life-transforming, church-reviving vision of him. Verse 16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may be revealed again in greater measure, in order that he may dwell. I love that word. Make his home in your hearts through faith. Verse 17 says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Very often when we read this passage, which is a, a very familiar passage to most of us, our understanding of the widths and the breadths, the heights and the depths, are that of the love of God. 
And of course we're right, it is. But the love of God is Jesus Christ. When Paul is also talking about the fullness of God, here in verse 19, he is of course talking about Jesus. Jesus is the outpouring of the love and the fullness of God. There's longing in these verses. A longing in Paul's plea to the church, both then and today, to get a greater vision of Christ. A vision that not only challenges and changes everything, transforms everything, reshapes our thinking and our understanding, but a vision that also takes up residency, becomes an occupying presence at the heart of all we do. It's a vision of Christ that will fill up the capacity of his church and win its gaze back from all other things. I wonder whether this was a a vision, this was the vision that Paul got to see on that life-changing journey to Damascus about 28 years previous. A vision so powerful it literally burnt out the corners of his eyes and made him blind for three days. A vision so overwhelming that it peeled away the layers of sin from his life, of hate and anger, prejudice and pride, like scales falling from his eyes. A vision so transforming that it literally hollowed him out for all other things but Christ alone. Is this the same life-changing vision that Paul is calling us to in this passage? Did Paul get to see the very width and breadth, the alpha and omega, the immeasurable beginning and end of the love of Christ? Did he get to see in his vision the very depths of salvation alongside the breathtaking heights of a risen and supreme king. I can't help thinking this has got to be Paul saying to the church, don't become familiar with a bite-sized vision of Christ. Stop living a life in miniature with a borrower-sized Jesus and wondering why power and breakthrough in your lives remains tough. He's saying, allow the Holy Spirit to set your viewfinder to panoramic with a wide-angled lens so that he can now show off Christ in all his magnificence. So if we were 
to get to see through this new spirit-held, supercharged viewfinder, what would we see? Well, we first we'd see the width and the breadth, the alpha and the omega of a saviour Christ who witnessed the Milky Way come together at his command, who was ruling over the universe before the foundations of the earth were laid. We'd be able to step back and look in wonder at an Old Testament story that is actually Jesus-shaped. Every story of slavery to rescue, exile and return, the sufferers and martyrs, abandonment and reconciliation, sacrifice, kings and rule, remnant to restoration, has the pattern and plan of Jesus running through it. Jesus was the Old Testament's worst kept secret. He was the common thread of longing hope and great expectation that ran right through the middle of it. And then when the waiting ends, we marvel at a saviour who comes to earth, who turns his back on the glory and adoration of heaven and exchanges it for hatred and persecution. We now get to see the fullness of God, his full might, power and authority on display on earth through flesh and bone, breath, sweat, blood and tears. We see the apple of a father's eye murdered and poured out over a wretched and undeserved world. Our eyes are now filled with a relentless, perfect passion that hangs from a cross of extraordinary love. It's an image of rescued lives and of hope restored. And then our eyes get drawn to the edge of the frame, which becomes an endless scene of eternal existence with him. And it's a landscape our dear sister Roberta now gloriously celebrates in. Such a great breadth of the love of God. Our attention can now be drawn to the other axis of God's love that Paul encourages us to gaze upon. And that's its depth and its height. We now see the heaven's champion come down from his glory and magnificence, where all eyes are transfixed on his majesty and beauty, where he becomes a brutalized and crushed body laid out on a cold slab in a dark and airless pauper's grave. 
a place where no other love will be able to go any deeper with. We must never censor this from our vision of Christ. We must allow our eyes to regularly pause on such a sight. For it's from this scene our gratitude gets to flow out. It's from this very place grace and mercy becomes a reality in our lives where our humanity is undone and our sin is dealt with. I was reminded, so I was writing this, of a hymn I used to sing as a child. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. It's quite amazing that from a vision of great sorrow, such joy can spring. But our vision of Jesus doesn't stay with a saviour, a cross and a grave. It draws our eyes upwards to the masterpiece of a glorious risen Lord. Our vision of Jesus must always include the duality of a saviour and a Lord. Jesus is both our saviour and the Lord of our lives too. The relationship of him in our lives needs to be able to tell the story of not only a rescue by him, but our reigning with him. It needs to be a picture that raises our heads from the depths of sorrow, gratitude and and unending thanks to the heights of eye-watering awe where we get to look upon a conquering king seated on the throne and have our breath taken away by sheer wonder. And even if we don't get to, and even then we don't get to be bystanders. It's a vision that draws us in. We get called forward to have our status changed. We're given a title, co-heirs. We're given a job, fishers of men. We're given superior weaponry for life, his power and his authority over all things. Jesus is saying to his church, don't reduce me down to a snapshot, a one-dimensional image that fades as quickly as it appears. Don't be satisfied with me being just a collection of inspiring Bible verses that just about gets us through the day. He's saying, own a vision of me that becomes the very territory in which you step into every day, that surrounds you and captivates you, that empties you, fills you and satisfies you. 
Let me be a vision that satisfies you first before the world and its troubles and lies steals you away. If ever there's a, a time when this nation and his church in this nation needs a greater revelation of Christ, it must surely be now. We're in the midst of one of the most unsettling times in our nation's history, probably since the outbreak of war in 1939. We literally have a divided country. We have divided communities, divided families. Fear and uncertainty have settled like a dark cloud over this nation. We're fed a daily rhetoric of doom and gloom, of chronic statistics on knife crime, out of control drug taking and dealing, a health service that's failing to cope, a police service that's failing to keep us safe, failing schools, failing leaders, injustice, protest, and reality TV that has seriously gone mad. Well, it isn't reality TV at all. It's just an escapism from all of the above. It needs to be his church right now that comes forward with the answer. A, charge, a church which, with a supercharged vision of Christ. Reality Christ is what we need. That would make a great program, wouldn't it? Reality Christ. Maybe I need to write in. <laughs> we need a supercharged vision of Christ that brings a sure and certain hope and a real response to the great deep groanings of an uncertain time. If we're to be a church that lives with revival at our very core, that allows revival to be embedded into our DNA. We have to make room for a bigger vision of Christ in our lives. If revival is what we're asking for his church, his town, his nation, we can no longer get by with a pocket-sized Jesus that fits conveniently in and around our lives. We have to be asking for more. It's very true. Revival will happen wherever and whenever God chooses. We don't get a say in that. What we do get is to want it, ache for it, Put right our lives for it. Make room for it. Be a fertile place for it to flow out from. Be the voice and the hands and the feet of it. Get a vision of Christ that matches up to revival.
When I was in Bogota, I couldn't, I can't stop seeing the swarms of hungry faces. It was as if the Holy Spirit had just pulled back the curtain of heaven and revealed the glory of Christ to them for the very first time. I saw the hunger. I saw the shining faces. I saw the eyes that had seen something of a great vision of Christ. It was almost as if they'd seen something I had still not got to see. I guess that's what revival does. But I knew I wanted it, and I still do. I want a vision of Christ in my life, wider and broader, deeper and higher than I've ever had before. I want it to be a vision that strengthens me, inspires me, and sets me up for revival. Let me end by asking this question again. Is our vision of Christ sufficient for our lives right now? Is our collective vision of Christ big enough for a church in revival? Why don't we stand? Just love us to just close our eyes for a moment. Just take a few minutes to just stand in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's really felt that maybe some here this morning whose vision of Christ vision of Jesus in their lives is just not big enough right now. A vision that needs to be expanded, needs to be broadened. Maybe you're in the room this morning And you've never had that. You've never had a vision of Christ break into your life. Just want to say this morning, ask for it. Call out for it. Say yes to it. If that's you, come and come and see me afterwards, Will. I'll talk that through with you. But Holy Spirit, we want to say, don't let us be satisfied with our small image of Christ. Holy Spirit, break it open. Open the door and let his glory come even brighter and clearer into our lives. Lord, we want to see Jesus seated on the throne. We want to see Jesus 
that has a lordship over our lives. Holy Spirit, we're sorry where we're fitted. A small image of Christ around our lives. Lord, we're sorry for being satisfied with just that. Lord, we say, give us more. Give us more. Let us see the great breadths and widths of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us see and feel and know the great depths of his love and the great heights of his glory. Show us it again, Holy Spirit. Make us hungry for it. Lord, would we be a church in revival with the vision of Christ before us. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Lord, would it be a glory that demands our all, our lives and our souls and everything that we have to give, Lord. Would it be a vision that captures all of that, that catches us up, Amen.